And you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein. A lot going on. Uh, two days. Uh, the uh, the election begins in earnest. You've got the Republicans. Uh, they're all going to be up there on stage, except for one person. And guess who? Uh, but uh, there's a lot going on on the front lines in terms of the election theft, and a lot was happening in Atlanta. And I want to remind you that it's our own Greg Palast, uh, the Election Crimes Bulletin, in which for years we've been uh, pointing a finger, and Greg has been leading us to pay attention to what's going on in Atlanta and what this district attorney is capable of doing in the context uh, of the RICO indictment. And, well, Greg, she did it, didn't she? There's a, a heck of a lot going on in Georgia, and as both the uh, stories in the New York Times and in the Wall Street Journal have reported, it, the presidential election will come down once again to the state of Georgia. So a few things that we ought to know about what's going on. As you know, the latest, if you remember that film, 10,000 Mules, which now Donald Trump, I think, talks about in every single one of his speeches, every single one, yes. saying that they yes. have the proof, they have the names, they have the proof that the election was stolen in Georgia, that the, the groups that were, um, that there were organizations like Stacey Abrams Fair Fight, they imply that, they show a picture of Stacey Abrams, but they never say her group, paid black men, and it was all black men, by the way, according to them, paid $10 each, paid $10 each to uh, drop forged extra mail-in ballots into the ballot boxes. There was a problem with that, which is that they couldn't find a single extra ballot, even though they claimed that there was something like a quarter million extra ballots dropped into those Georgia drop boxes in Atlanta. That is about 70% of the mail-in vote in Atlanta apparently was forged. But they couldn't find one. But here's now where it gets fun. The state of Georgia election board has demanded that true the vote give them the names of the insiders that told them that these organizations, which they are demanding that the state's demanding that they name because they know this is a felony crime, that they provide the names of the people who have this information that black people were paid $10 each to dump in these ballots. True the vote has now claimed that these names are confidential even though they don't claim that they are journalists to maintain confidentiality or that they're national security or police agency, or they are witnesses to a crime and they won't provide the information about the crime. It's as if, Dennis, you watched a bank robbery and said, oh, I know who committed the bank robbery, and the cops said, well, who did it? And you say, well, I'm not, just not going to tell you. I'm not telling uh-huh. you. I don't have to tell you. <laughs> I'm not telling yeah. you. Also, I'm fascinated by the fact that supposedly – Stacey Abrams, they showed the, the faces of Stacey Abrams, George Soros, and Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg's especially interesting because he is a Republican that paid these $10 per voter to um, stuff these ballots. So I'm wondering why they would pay them $10 to individually stuff in drop box ballots into Georgia when all you have to do is, for $0.59, cents, put a stamp on it and stick it in the mailbox. In fact, I think that they're prepaid in Georgia, so you just... You can dump 200 in a ballot in a mailbox, and who would care? So why are they paying these guys to commit a felony crime? And by the way, every single drop box in Georgia has a camera on it so they can identify people. And there's one guy already, <laughs> Mark Andrews, who, who remember that they had one guy in this film, as I've talked about, the 10,000 mules. It would be a joke, except that 
this could determine our elections. This is the whole base of the Republican claims of massive voter fraud and Trump's claim in particular. It's cited now in these uh, in these indictments that he's he's and, and saying just that to, through the just vote to make the source. point, Greg, I want you to underline the point that there's a whole parallel structure as you tell this story in which they're propping up the heroes of Georgia. So yes. it's going to be, you know, a little, uh, a, a whole bunch of disinformation. And then we're going to have the heroes of Georgia and the current governor yes. will be the next president. Okay, close. so here's the play. Here's one of the big problems we have because Trump has made these vicious, insane, and racist accusations because it's all about black men. This guy, Mark Andrews, for example, was accused of going to 28 ballot boxes, and they have the videotape, but they never they only showed the same videotape over and over. The reason I mention his name, he turns out he's a high-tech executive in Atlanta, legally putting in the uh, votes, uh, the ballots of his uh, family members, which is, of course, what, what you can do in every single state in America placing their absentee ballots. He's taking legal action against them, too. It may seem crazy, but this is really important. This was the basis of them uh, saying that they had to, that uh, Trump had put in his alternative electors, who never ran for as electors, and this is why he's facing these criminal charges. But the basis is supposedly this information found by, through the vote, of this ballot, crazy ballot stuffing going on. So now, who's going to be the heroes? So because you have the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, who was elected over Stacey Abrams. Remember, in 2018, because he was secretary of state, he he purged over a third of a million voters, most of them legal voters, overwhelmingly black voters, including Martin Luther King's cousin, who we removed from the voter rolls. That's what elected Kemp as governor. Now he's being the hero, supposedly responding to the idiocy of Trump's claim of illegal elections, saying that George elections were perfect. So does his secretary of state, who is, whose name is mispronounced as Brad Raffensperger. It's Raffensperger. He is the Persian general of Georgia. Raffensperger, who's been put on MSNBC, 60 Minutes, as, as well as Kemp, as heroes facing down Trump's charges of vote manipulation, yet it is Raffensperger and Kemp who first said that Georgia elections were fixed by the Democrats. Trump, while Trump is citing true the vote, true the vote actually was depending on Kemp, the Republican governor, and Raffensperger, the violently uh, partisan Republican secretary of state. Now, what's going on here? Uh, Raffensperger is, is, for example, said in 2018 that he had absolute proof, like Joe McCarthy, I have a list of over 1,000 double voters, over 1,000 double voters. In fact, we try to get that list. He turned them over to the attorney general to prosecute, and the papers ran it front page, top of the nightly news in Georgia, you know, thousands of double voters creating this hysteria. In fact, not one single case was proven. Not one person was charged, let alone convicted, of double voting. So this stuff about... Democrats bending the election is coming from those very people at MSNBC and CBS at 60 Minutes saying are the heroes denying the election deniers. So what's happened, you are correct, what is the play here? The play is for Brian Kemp 
in two years when he can no longer run for a third term as governor to run instead for the U.S. Senate seat now held by John Ossoff. Because so many Democratic sources, New York Times, CBS, MSNBC, are praising Kemp, they're undermining Ossoff's chance of re-election. John Ossoff is one of the great progressive senators that we have. Um, not very well known in the rest of America, but he's, you know, but important. They, and they will knock him off. So you're going to end up with Democrats basically running Kemp's campaign for him against Ossoff. Two years later, you can bet Brian Kemp, who's already said he's open to running for president, will be running as the Republican nominee two years after. And, and again, and I just just to to remind people that you one of the amazing parts of your film, of the Vigilante film, the most recent film, I know you're working on some new stuff now, we're interested in that, but the shows the depth of racism and the history of these people who we're talking about as uh, portrayed as heroes uh, on MSNBC or, or whatever. So that, there, there's some amazing history uh, that we get from your film, Greg. But I want to I, I want to sort of direct you back to Atlanta with a, in a different uh, sort of with a different set of glasses on. Talk to us about the power and the importance of having a RICO presentation, having uh, a, a structure uh, in which the district attorney has a lot more freedom to go uh, deeper and to make the connections that need to be made in a conspiracy like this. Well, yes. So uh, to create RICO and, and understand, I used to work with the U.S. Justice Department. I won the biggest RICO uh, civil RICO case in U.S. history against the nuclear industry. But I also worked in Georgia on their special Georgia Racketeering. RICO stands for Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. It was originally designed to go after the, the mafia because you could always get, you know, the little guys. The, you know, Mr. Big would order a hit and, and the hit man would end up going to the electric chair. Well, Mr. Big was saying, I don't know, all I said is, gee, it's too bad that that guy is still walking around alive. <laughs> so they could never get Mr. Big. So they created a law to go after Mr. Big. But I pointed out to the Justice Department that Mr. Big can sometimes doesn't have to be some, you know, it's like cartoon Italian out of The Godfather, but it could be a corporate Mr. Big. And we went after the Mr. Big in the, um, in the nuclear industry. Now they're going after Mr. Big the one who is in the Oval Office, the center of the spider web. Now, that requires certain conditions. Number one, you have to have an enterprise. In other words, you have to have a mob. You have to have a mafia. And the enterprise complies. I mean, you might consider them the Keystone, the Keystone Cops Mafia, but it's Giuliani, it's Sidney Powell, it's the uh, Georgia Republican Party, their chair. Um, the state GOP chairman was involved and the uh, head of the, the Republicans in the Georgia legislature, their main crime, while many crimes are listed, besides having this enterprise that is this mob where they're working together, they have to be a conspiracy. Now, when we talk about conspiracy, some people, by the way, Dennis, call me a conspiracy nut, but at the Justice Department, I'm a conspiracy expert. What is a conspiracy? It's two or more people who do something in secret, contrive to do something against the law in secret. And that's what you had with Trump. Professor John Eastman of Pomona College, who came up with this 
crazy. It, he came up with actually a, uh, a way that w- under the 12th Amendment of our Constitution, which is our Constitution is shaky stuff for a democracy, which does allow for the vice president to actually choose slates of electors. And then you got to fight it out. And he's trying to get Pence to pick up the, the Trump electors in Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, and Michigan, and Wisconsin. And Pennsylvania was the other one, too. Uh, pick those electors instead of the ones who actually won, and we're going to vote in the Electoral College for Joe Biden. But they couldn't get enough Georgians willing to uh, say that Biden won, because after all, some of those people on those lists, you know, have to live with their neighbors, and some of them are in swing districts, and that would create a backlash. So they looked for guys who never who claimed that they were duly elected electors who were never elected because they never ran. Well, that's a fraud. You're using the mail. So you have to have what are called predicate acts. I hope I'm not getting too legalistic, but you have to understand what's going on here. The predicate acts are they were filing, filling out affidavits saying, I was elected to pick the president of the United States. Now, I have to say, Dennis, if it were you and me saying we were elected to pick out the president of the United States, I might be a little more forgiving. <laughs> I don't know these guys. They just claim, hey, I got elected. I picked the president. It might sound comical. But if Pence were more amenable, I think it would have worked. We came very close to a coup d'etat through these characters. That's why, I mean, it may seem like a joke now, but it really, we came very close to what uh, in, in, historians call a self-coup, where the, the sitting president basically refuses to leave office and manipulates himself back into office. Right. This, is, so, this is the this action, is by the way. This is what Tribe and that crew are making the point that in, in saying that Trump is no longer eligible uh, because he demonstrated uh, an action to set aside the that determination, you know, that the elect, you know, following that, the determination of the people, essentially. Yes, we do have a, you know, while the, the, the Constitution has its problems, we have some fixes in it called the Bill of Rights. The 14th Amendment of the Constitution known as the Equal Protection Clause, has a Part C, rarely, rarely used. Part C, which says that if you are in an insurrection against the United States, basically, in prevention, you know, as we saw on January 6th, whose purpose was to stop the peaceful transfer of power. This was uh, created after the Civil War. You can't run for federal office. It's that simple. And in fact, we've had a couple people in Arizona disqualified because they were involved in the January 6th insurrection. Well, I know another guy who was involved in January 6th insurrection. I could, I could describe him to the cops in a lineup. He has orange hair, orange skin. <laughs> you know, so, you know, we're laughing, but we really did come close to a um, self-coup in the United States. And so what Fanny, Fanny, I should say, I've been mispronouncing her name, and I do apologize. It's Fanny Willis. Fanny Willis has brilliantly, what I believe, put together a very, very strong case, because she doesn't have to go into the kind of gelatinous yellow mind and brain of of Trump, whereas in the case of Jack Smith, he's kind of made himself a difficult case by saying that Trump knew he had lost. And that's a very difficult thing to prove, because you have to go into Donald Trump's mind and say he knew he lost, and therefore, by continuing to question the election, he was a committing a fraud on the public. That's kind of hard to do. So, so Smith might have a tougher case, 
though he might have a, a better jury because he'll be in Washington, D.C. Now, in the case of Fannie Willis, there's a new legal maneuver that you should know about. So her case is simpler. All she has to do is prove that they got a bunch of, of, sh- of schmucks together to sign their names, say if they'd been elected, they weren't elected. Trump personally knew all about this whole scheme. And he doesn't have to know it's illegal. He doesn't have to know that he actually lost. All he has to do is say that he, that he just has to be part of this conspiracy, which he was. And so she has a much easier case. What, what uh, Trump's lawyers are trying to do now, though, is move the case to federal court. And the reason he's doing that now, Fonnie Willis, he can't escape Fonnie because if he moves down the street in Atlanta into the federal court building, she goes with him as prosecutor. She still remains the prosecutor, right. and she's a killer in the courtroom. In fact, some people, including in the black community, think she's too much of a killer. She's very quick to put people in prison. But I would not want to be facing her if I was a defendant, believe me. So she will follow him. But what happens is instead of picking a jury from Fulton right. County, which is 73% Democratic, she will be right. that the jury will be pulled from uh, the like six, seven Atlanta counties. And that will be the federal jury pool, which will probably make it about 50 50 Democratic Republican. And remember, it's a criminal trial, Dennis. That means one single Trumpster on that jury can say, I don't care. Trump's my man. I'm not voting him guilty no matter what. And he walks. So that's why he wants to move it to federal court. That's the latest yeah. on that one. And that, yeah. And I, you know, I don't know if I'm the only person in the world that remembers the fact that uh, the Rodney King beating jury situation, the move made all the difference in terms of the sentencing. Am I re- remembering that right? That is correct. I mean, so your, your venue is very important. I mean, if you go from a basically Fulton County is the heart of Atlanta, it's going to be a black jury. It's going to be a Democratic jury. And it's going to be an urban jury. That is, Atlanta is kind of the San Francisco for the LGBTQ community in the South, outside of New Orleans. It's, um, you know, progressives. It's a big uh, Asian American community. Um, you know, basically people who are kind of like are, are kind of partial to democracy and may not look kindly on an attempt to overthrow our government. If you go out to those collar areas in Cobb County, for those who've seen my film Vigilante, there's a woman in uh, red at the beginning of the film who's personally challenged the right of 36,000 voters to vote, most of them black people. In her, and she's she in Cobb she County. She would be in them. that jury. She, she never she met didn't any, know any of them. She just, she just got this from this group, True the Vote. She got their, a bunch of names from them, and she just challenged black voters. There you go. That woman will now be in the jury pool if they can move it to and people like her if they can move it to um the federal court that's the big problem for Fonnie willis because trump's lawyers i have no doubt if they're smart and they seem to be smart this is certainly smart enough to ask for all their fees in advance they're doing um, quite so, well given his yeah. situation yes yeah, so um i mean he's a he's definitely an atm for lawyers Assuming they're smart and they are, they will try to find one juror that they can convince to stand 
to just say, absolutely no, I don't care. It's kind of what they call the posse comitatus theory, that if you think a law is unjust or, or a prosecution is political, you can say innocent no matter what the judge says or what the law says. And that's right. what they will be promoting. It's a very serious – so that little subtle thing, I've been giving you these technical legal details, but these are the things that make cases that, that put people in jail right. or, or let them right. get – home free that's why i wanted that's why i really wanted to talk to you even though it seems like some of the old terrain we've gone over this context is everything and greg we're running out of time and i do want to spend a few minutes having you talk about what you're working on now you've been in oklahoma you've you've been on this beat about voter suppression and the electronic jim crow for uh, ever now so what's going on what are you doing these days? Well, what we're seeing now, I'm at, I was actually just in Oklahoma for uh, producer George DiCaprio. As you know, Leonardo DiCaprio has is about to release a film about the theft of oil from the Osage Native tribe in, in Oklahoma. And it's a story from the book, Killer, it's called Killers of the Flower Moon, based on that book. But it ends in 1923. The Osage were the richest people in the United States and maybe in the world, the richest ethnic group, because they had discovered oil. Well, guess what? They took it away from them. How'd they do it? They put bullets in their head. They literally assigned a guardian. They called every native incompetent. Every Osage was called incompetent. They needed guardians. They assigned them guardians, and their guardians shot them, poisoned them, cyanide, dynamited one's house, etc. And they made themselves the beneficiaries of their estates. So they would become a guardian to an Osage, literally kill them, sometimes marry them and shoot them uh, so they could yes. make sure that they got the money. Now, but that ended 100 years ago. So um, DiCaprio's family is very concerned, as was I, that it would be seen and so were the, the uh, uh, chief standing bearer of the Osage. It would be seen as something that's long past, stealing oil and poisoning uh, indigenous people. Well, it's kind of continued on for the next hundred years. And at the center of it, I don't want to give away too much, but the center of theft is our couple brothers named Coke. And at the center, and this is a, a, literally an investigation at the Osage Reservation that I've been on for over 30 years. And we're going to bust this whole story out. I started this investigation with a, with a journalist named Bob Perry, one of our great journalists of all times. Yeah. And I'm, so yes. we're going to be now telling his story in film. We're bringing it out. And this is important because as you do this, and here's the other thing about it, Dennis, you can't steal someone's oil unless you either take their life or take their vote or both. The poisonings continue, but not in the same way. They don't use cyanide. They simply have been dumping the, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that, the oil into the uh, right into the drinking supply. The other, though, is the vote. And the fight for the right to vote, and I would like you know, people listening to this, we know about um, the 14th Amendment and the 15th Amendment and the amendments of giving African-Americans the right to vote after the Civil War, but the American indigenous nations were not given the vote until 1924. 1924. 
and they're still fighting for it. And as I, I mentioned, and I'm, if you, if you missed it before, like one of the things that the Osage were telling me is that they had to go, they flew out to Arizona to help the uh, Yaki Pascua nation, this big yeah. reservation in Arizona, where the state Republican legislature removed the voting, the polling station. Now, I didn't say that they yeah. removed some polling stations. They, there is none for the entire reservation. These are the games that they're playing. I have never, Dennis, seen – I've talked I, about the suppression of black vote, but suppression of native vote, it's the worst. Absolutely. And forgive me for making this point again and again and again. And it comes in the context for the first time in a long time that indigenous communities, Native American communities are doing serious organizing around the vote and really making a difference. It used to be a little bit different, but there's a lot of activism and that's got folks nervous. Wouldn't you say, Greg? Oh, indeed, yes, because the Osage have now restored some of the income that was lost to them, uh, mainly through casinos and other ways to um, take care of their resources. They're trying to move, by the way, to geothermal. They don't want to be digging out oil. They, they would like to be doing um, renewable energy, but they're not allowed to by the BIA. So, but they've been taking their resources and helping so many other indigenous groups and tribes around the country protect their votes, including a big push in Nevada. So Arizona and Nevada, the groups that have the resource and the experience, like the Osage, are now coordinating. And the only reason Joe Biden won is because while they shut down polling stations on the reservations all over Arizona and all over Nevada, they went in and did this massive mail-in registration voting campaign. And that's what really put Biden over the top. If it weren't for that shock native, just this explosion in the native American vote. Biden would not be president. See, this is, this is profound, Greg, and this is the kind of work that we're glad that we can um, share with you and keep really keep a focus on the power of the vote and why there is so much attention across this country in the face of the criminality. Because of Trump's criminality, it's like a a bait-and-switch situation. Trump does one thing, but what's really happening is about suppressing the vote, and as you call it, the 21st century uh, electronic Jim Crow. And there are all kinds of new ways to doing it. So we're, we're glad that you uh, we have you along, uh, Greg, on this Thank ride, uh, which seems like it's only going to um, get, keep getting a little bit more interesting. And of course, we didn't even mention that the violence that we warned folks about, that we've been talking about from the get-go, about what's going to happen when push comes to shove. Well, we've certainly seen plenty of that violence, and it ain't over. When you say that's another big unknown, it just well, takes a couple of jerks in the wrong spot. Well, there's a systematic uh, intimidation program going on, including our men who have been who are standing next to um, voting boxes in Hispanic communities in Arizona. Um, we are, and I'm about to go to Texas on an investigation of this violence. So, it's unfortunately it used to be random. Now the intimidation and violence factor are 
becoming systematic, planned, and nationwide. This is new, by the way. Coming, This is a new business, and I'm very concerned. So we're sending the Palace investigative team to Texas, Arizona, Nevada, and back to Georgia, and, uh, and you know, wherever else it starts blowing up. But there is no shame here. And one of the problems is by saying that only Trump is the center of this vote-stealing conspiracy, we're actually leaving out the, the really dangerous players because Trump, frankly, has acted pretty much like a clown. And so I'm less worried about a guy who doesn't know what he's doing. I'm very worried about Kemp, Raffensperger, uh, Governor Abbott of Texas, Harry Lake and her gang yeah. in Arizona. These people yeah. know what they are doing, and they are challenging. They're, they're in my in my post office. Their pictures are are on the wall in my post office. We're going to have to leave it um, right there for okay. now, Greg Powell's Election Crimes Bulletin, 20 years in uh, counting. Uh, we oh, appreciate boy. the incredibly good work, Greg. Uh, stay safe, and, of course, we're going to be back to you soon. You got me. GregPalace.com, by the way. GregPalace.com. Check it out.